Jesus on anxiety. Join with me in Luke chapter 12. I'm always amazed at the timelessness of Jesus' words and how relevant they are to speak to the human condition across all ages. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke on anxiety, and I think we need to hear his words as much as ever today. Anxiety is coupled with unpleasant words like worry, fear, um, trouble, afraid, apprehension. And I think we all experience it to some extent, but some of us experience it in a greater magnitude. It begins in the mind and then it works itself through our body. And the greater the force of it, the more it affects our body from just having stomach uh, troubles, tension, to having sleeplessness or inability to, to, to think or incapacity to even to function. This unwelcome guess is on the rise in our world. In the year 2016, the Public Agency of Health for Canada announced that anxiety was the number one mental health issue for children. Pre-COVID, for all of Canadians, 5% of our population said that anxiety, they were experiencing it in either high or extreme levels. And then when COVID happened, that number quickly quadrupled to 20%. And those are statistics, but you and I know anxiety is real, like it's, it's personal. And we all have those places, those opportunities where we have a tendency to worry and be anxious. You posted something on social and you didn't think it was controversial, but it ended up people took it the wrong way. You, you worry about your reputation and the repercussions of that. The doctor called you in for some additional tests. You, you worry about what the results will be. You, that you've heard at work that there's gonna be more layoffs and that's cause for concern for you. We worry about ourselves. We worry about those that we really care about. You worry about your child who you think is being bullied at school. You worry for your sibling who's been diagnosed with cancer. You, you worry about your friend who you, su you suspect is having trouble with some substance abuse. Anxiety and the reasons for it are everywhere. I can be anxious about speaking on anxiety. In fact, I had one night where I had trouble sleeping as I thought about this subject. I don't wanna bring shame on anybody. And, and let's be clear, if, if, you're a, uh, if you've been afflicted with anxiety from trauma or biologically from chemical imbalance, whatever, we're, we're not talking about that today. But even as I talk about anxiety in general, I know for some of us who are experiencing it, it'll, it has the potential to only make us feel worse. Even a discussion around anxiety, it can cause us to worry about the fact that we are worried. There's another reason to be a little bit apprehensive today as we discuss this subject. Although as we talk about the principles of anxiety, and I think generally applies to many areas as we have our discussion today, it does focus in on a particular issue, money, possessions. The Canadian research firm Ipsos recently last fall said for those of people who had been affected in their mental health by COVID, almost half of them said that financial stress was a main contributor. We do carry, carry very much if we have enough money, finances. And for some of us, it's such a private, touchy matter. It's a no-fly zone for conversation. But as we sit under the words of Jesus, I think there's so much hope. I mean, I think it's obvious that our, our society's approach to worry and anxiety divested from Jesus is not working. So imagine if we listen to the words of Jesus and we actually put into practice 
what he teaches us. I mean, think about it. These spirit-inspired words were given to us by the one who created life, and I think he knows something about how it should work. Jesus on anxiety gives us so much hope and a way forward in an area where so much of us are affected and feel so hopeless about. Let's go to Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. At first blush, it seems like these words of Jesus are simplistic, if not unrealistic, maybe even harsh. But I think Jesus wants for us to get at a different perspective that opens the door to a way of life that has less worry and eventually that we can live worry-free. Jesus invites us where we have anxiety to make three shifts, a shift in our perspective, a shift in our provision, and a shift in what we consider precious. Perspective, provision, precious. Let's dive in with perspective. Jesus wants us to get the big picture, what life is really about, to be, have our orientation set right, right from the start. And to get clarity on that, He's going to show us what life is not about as we back up just a few verses to get the context. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus had a way of attracting crowds. I mean, there was such authority in what he did and what he said. This is a scenario where it appears two brothers are there to, to hear Jesus and they have been having a dispute over an inheritance. One of the brothers sees this as an opportunity to get Jesus' opinion to validate his position. From the outside looking in, this would be a, a great opportunity for Jesus to validate himself, his own authority and, and wisdom. It's flattering for someone to come to you and ask you to decide on their situation. Like people came to Moses for him to make a decision, like Solomon was asked to, to discern in situations. But instead, Jesus uses this opportunity to teach what life is all about. It is not this. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to give a nod to what Jesus has said here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you certainly don't want to be in a place where covetousness is part of your life, where the things that you hope to possess actually have a greater hold on your life than they should. But then why the anxiety for us? Is our perspective really right? Jesus tells a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Fool, foolish. Jesus is making it very clear, life is not about the more, the stuff, whatever that is for us. Whether it's something as simple as a phone, clothing, car, house, all those things. And what they think they'll give to us, value, security, pleasure, contentment. 
It's not that these are bad things, it's just that they are bad ultimate things. Sometimes because I've been a certified financial planner in my past and now a pastor, people will ask me, is it okay to save for the future? My answer is this. It begins with a fundamental question. What are the things that I possess? And in fact, what is my life purpose for? If it's for me, as it was for this man in the parable, if it's all about myself and my consumption, that's not so good. But if I can use what God has put into my hands to take care of myself and my family and then use my excess resources to fund the initiatives of God's kingdom, like investing in the local church, caring for the poor, in places where they don't have clean water, helping them dig water wells, uh, help funding orphanages so they can look after children, all these things, etc., etc., etc. That's being rich towards God. And we'd be foolish not to do that. So when Bill Gates dies, how much is he going to leave behind? When Jeff Bezos of Amazon dies, how much will he leave behind? The answer is the same for both of them. Everything as it is for us. In light of that, Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you possess, what you're clothed with. Change your perspective. Life is not about those things. Life is about something much bigger, the kingdom of God. That's where life will be found, which leads us to provision. What follows next is Jesus' instruction to his disciples. For if you're, if you're watching today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you may find some of what he says here a little bit strange. But know this, Jesus is inviting each and every one of us into a relationship with him. You can follow. He's inviting you to do that. Now, each of us, those of us who have come to Christ and have a relationship with him, our stories are vast and varied. I mean, some of us were raised in a Christian home. We almost feel like we had Christ tattooed on our thigh when we were born. For others, we came to Christ later in life. And so our thinking has to be retrained. In either case, and for all of us, we are influenced by a culture that promotes the pursuit of possessions and pleasure and idolizes those who can achieve that by their own doing. I mean, this is great for those who can get it, but for those who can't, it leads to frustration, anxiety, worry. We feel like we don't measure up. We wonder, are we wasting our lives? But hear this, Jesus is inviting us to exchange the hero of our story, the provider from ourselves, to the one who can do it so much better, guaranteed, God, the creator and sustainer of life. That's an amazing exchange. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? I think so often when we begin to worry and have anxiety, we have forgotten how much God values us. In God's story from the very beginning in creation, humankind, you and I, were created as the pinnacle of God's creation. Only you and I, human beings, were considered to be made in the image of God. Extreme value. The foundation of social justice, whether people realize it or not, is on this fact. We have extreme value. Jesus is emphatic about this, and he draws our attention to a lesser creation. He says, consider the ravens. Some translations call, uh, translate it the crows. Consider the crows. This was one of the, 
birds that were considered unclean. And certainly I got to tell you, a bird that I have a lot of trouble liking, seeing they destroyed my lawn. Jesus says, consider them the lesser of creation. God provides for them. How much more will he provide for you, O valued one? Jesus goes on. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? I think when we analyze worry, so often it has to do with control or our lack of it. We want things to work out a certain way, and so we begin to think about all the possibilities, especially the negative possibilities, how things may not work out, and then how we can manipulate it so that we do, and we worry, we worry, we worry. So we want to control the situation. Jesus says, really? How much control, how much power do you think you really have? Can you add one hour to your life? Something, by the way, that's very easy for God to do. Jesus is inviting us to shift our faith from ourselves, to shift it to God. Don't worry. It only takes away from your lifespan. What a relief to know that I can let God take care of things. So in those situations where I, I feel like I have so little control, maybe my spouse is not responding the way I hope that he or she would. Maybe my kids are acting up or I have a friend who's out of line. Maybe there's more month than there is money. All those places where I can worry. We can give this to God. This has to be of enormous help to us. Who, some of us who are feeling so overwhelmed right now, we don't have to fix everything. We don't have to make everything right. There's a God who wants to do that. We can put to death our savior complex. We can mothball our cape, our superman, our superwoman cape. Let's let God be God. That's the role that he wants to take. You and I are gifted and, and, and made uniquely by God for all kinds of things, but it is not to play the role of God. Think of movie casting and you come in to be interviewed. No, you're not the right person for this role. Let God be God. So what is it that's burdening you right now? What is it that you need to release to him that he is saying, let me take that. Let me take responsibility for that. Can you let it go? Can you give it to him and shift yourself from being the provider, the fixer to God? I want to give us a moment to do that right now. I just feel to pray. Would you pray with me? God, you see us. You know each one of us. You know our hearts. You know our thoughts. You know what makes us anxious and what we worry about right now in this moment, Lord, because your word tells us that you want to take care of things. We release it to you. We give it to you, God. And we ask you to work things out and help us not to grab it back. In Jesus' name. Jesus goes on. He continues to illustrate from creation. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God is asking us to put our trust completely in him. In the early years of my marriage, um, my wife and I were faced with uh, a challenge to trust God. Uh, we had already had two kids, and my wife was pregnant with the third. And as we were uh, moving towards uh, that third child being born, we started to think 
about my wife quitting her work. She had a job with a national grocery chain at the time where they had a lucrative contract and great employee benefits. I had just started a job where I was in sales and there was no floor on my earnings. In other words, it could go to zero, but there was no ceiling either. In other words, my income was completely based on what I sold. As we got closer to our third child being born, we realized that God was asking us to have my wife quit her job so that she could pour herself more into her children. Um, I would never judge a woman who works, and this was a decision for us, and it was a very difficult decision. It meant giving up some of our financial security, like thinking about all the scenarios, the what ifs, if we, if we didn't have enough. And we reached that point where we made the decision, we were gonna, we were gonna do it. And God drove a stake in the ground for us that he can be trusted. On the month that we made the decision and pulled the trigger, my wife quit her job in that same very month. For some reason, my sales escalated and I made more in that month than we had made combined together. And we never looked back. Now, did I work hard to make that happen? Yes. Do I deserve the credit for this coincidence? Absolutely not. Ultimately, God is the provider. He goes on, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus now shifts the language referring to God, to father. He wants us to know how much God cares for us. Good fathers care about their children and want to provide for them. We never think that a two-year-old child, like they should worry about, well, we're gonna have enough to eat or what kind of clothes they should wear. The father makes that his concern. Again, I'm not saying that for those of us who can, we shouldn't work and, and do our best to provide, but we need to understand that ultimately God is the one who takes care of us. Though we need to be diligent our work and scriptures, you know, it discouraged idleness. We need to see that God is a father who wants to care for us so much so. He, not, he wants to give us what is absolutely best, the kingdom of God. So in those moments when you have a real struggle in your life and your faith is being put to the test and it's leading to anxiety and worry, we need to bring ourselves back to look at the story of God and see again how much God is for us, how much he values us, how much he loves us. And we see that most explicitly at the cross. There the father gave us his son and Jesus willingly went to the cross, experienced a brutal crucifixion, shed his blood, his body was broken. We celebrate that in communion so that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus can be forgiven, have a right relationship with God and enter the kingdom of God. He so wants this for you and me. He's provided what is best. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God has something supreme, of supreme value that he wants to give us. 
He cares about our temporal needs and what we're experiencing in the day-to-day of life, but he has something actually more and greater for us. Righteousness, peace, joy, a right relationship with God. Peace, as opposed to anxiety. Joy, as opposed to discouragement. These are things that are priceless that God wants to give us. We taste them in part right now. It's like we're having appetizers right now, but we need to understand there is a more, there's a bigger banquet that is to come, the fullness of the kingdom kingdom that Jesus has come to ultimately bring. In light of that, we should live and seek what is most valuable. So Jesus invites us to make a shift. When we experience anxiety, It's likely that we have misplaced our values. We need to shift what is precious to us from the lesser to the greater, from the temporal to the eternal. Seek his kingdom and these things, all the things we worry about, we're concerned about, will be added to you. Jesus is inviting us to make his kingdom the main thing in our life. A kingdom has a king. It's got laws, it has citizens. So what this means is make God the main person in your life. Get to know him through prayer. Practice prayer. Get to know him through his word. Practice the reading of his word and thinking about his ways and and how you can live in them. Begin your day with God instead of the things that cause you anxiety like the news or social. Start with God, developing a relationship with him. Seek, pursue that. Then live it out by loving God and loving those around you. See, God's kingdom is unshakable. His disposition towards you is constant. He loves you. He values you. God doesn't love you one day and unfriend you the next day. God is unshakable. His kingdom is unshakable. When we seek that, this becomes something whereby our anxiety dissipates. See, we only worry about what we value. Think about it. Do you stay up at night? Are you, do you have sleepless nights because you are not the best ironer in the world? I want to use a ridiculous example here. There is a sport, an extreme sport called extreme ironing. And I quote Dr. Google, extreme ironing is an outdoor sport that combines the danger and excitement of an extreme sport with the satisfaction of a well-pressed shirt. Can you believe it? It involves taking an iron and, bo- iron and board to remote locations and ironing a few items of laundry. You've never worried about that and you never will. Why? Because it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter, and it never will. It has no value, so you don't worry about it. We only worry about the things that that we value. And Jesus is saying, value the kingdom. Seek the kingdom, because it's unshakable, and God's disposition to give you the kingdom is unshakable. It is the great antidote to our anxiety. Seek the kingdom of God. Now let's remember, Jesus said this to his disciples, many of whom have left everything to follow him. In other words, they're not exactly the kind of guys that have a lot of money and possessions anyways. I think what Jesus is saying is, it doesn't matter what you have, how much or how little, we can all be anxious about whether we have enough. And we can make a great decision one day to give it all to God, to trust him completely, and yet over time find ourselves slipping away to a place where we're starting to value things that matter so much less. Seek the kingdom, Jesus said. In the original language, the wording is like, seek the kingdom and keep on seeking the kingdom because we can so easily shift off that being our main focus. Jesus, 
a relationship with God, what matters to him, loving God and loving people. We can shift off that. That's why it's so good to be in community with other people because we can encourage one another. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And when we experience anxiety, we can talk about it, bring it into the open. I think anxiety can be actually a great barometer to let us know when we've gotten off on our perspective, when what matters to us is of less importance and so we become anxious. That can be a barometer that brings us back to shift back to what matters most. Now, as we finish to what Jesus has to say on this subject here, he, sent, he says something that's quite amazing. Jesus gives us uh, something to do that can set our perspective. It can, for, for sure, remind us who our provider is and put in cement what our hearts should treasure. He says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Did that strike you as a little bit crazy? I mean, for people who have anxiety, who may be worrying about whether they have enough, Jesus says, ah, take some of your stuff that you do have and give it away. So counterintuitive, so countercultural. So Jesus, so brilliant. See, I think anxiety wants to control us. And Jesus is saying, take what wants to control you and give it to God. If it's money, if it's stuff, if it's a worry about having enough, give it to God by giving to the poor. Jesus says, when you've given to the least of these, you've given to me. And in so doing, you find yourself relieved of anxiety and also being an answer to someone else's prayer for provision. I mean, how great is that? Take what wants to control you and give it to God. Maybe it's bitterness. So give that to God and then forgive. Maybe it's control itself. So give control to God and then release yourself and release others. Maybe it's reputation. Give that to God and then do the right thing. And let your reputation with God be the thing that matters the most. We can do something. We do not have to be victims of anxiety. Jesus says, seek the kingdom. It is the Father's good pleasure to give it to you, and he will take care of all our other needs as well.